Hey, True Crime fans. This is your host for the I'm Missing podcast. My name is Ava McClure. This podcast is brand new, and my goal for this podcast is to cover the mystery around missing people's cases. So if you like a twisted mystery, you've come to the right place, because today I'm going to tell you about the disappearance of Tara Tara Calico, which involves a bike ride gone wrong, missing evidence, a mysterious Polaroid, and maybe even a cover-up. Tara was just 19, so if you can remember being that age, it's a time when most feel like they own the world. As a young adult, you're invincible, and there's little that can stand in the way of what you want. Tara believed this. After recovering from a car wreck that happened in high school, the young woman was fearless. She was taking on the world, and she was doing it her own way. Now, it's the morning of September 20th, 1988, and is preparing for her regular bike ride. This is something she does almost every day, and I have to assume she loved it. Like, this was her way of unwinding from the stress of being a college sophomore at the new... Mexico University, where she was studying psychology, which I can only imagine is a lot of work, but I don't know because I was never that into college. I tried it, though. So here's what you need to know before we get too far into what happened that morning. A couple of months earlier, there were threatening messages left on Tara's car. I don't know what these messages said or even why these messages were there, but my gut tells me that Tara had to have some idea of the motive behind them, and for that reason, they didn't intimidate her. Also, we have to remember that Tara didn't scare easily because there's this van. This van is important, to me anyways. Tara's mom, Patty, used to accompany her accompany her on her morning bike ride but she got freaked out by what she said was a van that was following her too closely while she was riding this trail this trail that tara and patty took every day van's going to come up later on in this story and while i found no evidence that the two are connected in a missing persons case i believe that nothing even coincidences should be taken for granted So, Patty suggests that Tara stop riding the trail, too, but Tara's not having it. This is her life, and she's not going to cower in fear. Since Patty can't talk Tara out of taking these bikes, of out of not taking these bike rides she's like look at least carry mace that way you have some type of protection in case anyone tries to mess with you again tara's not having it i've wondered a lot about this like why didn't tara just carry the mace at the very least to appease her mother and i formed my own own conclusion tara has been described as a kind-hearted outgoing person She had grown up in the small town of Balin, New Mexico, the kind of town where nothing bad really happens. Now, this kind of town is our arch enemy in missing persons cases because it lures people into a false sense of security. They think that they're safe because they've grown up in this place and they know it so well and they know everyone. So what can really go wrong? That has to be what Tara was thinking. And of course, we're all naive at this age. We all think that it's never going to be us. But sometimes it is us. And that's what Tara learned that morning. So she leaves for her bike ride at 9.30. But before she goes, she tells her mom, if I'm not back by noon, you you need to come look for me. There's a couple of reasons for this. A few days earlier, while riding that same bike route that she planned to take that morning, 
Her own bike got a flat tire, so that morning she's taking Patty's 10-speed pink Huffy, kind of worried that she would get a flat tire again. And also, Tara had a date with her boyfriend at 12.30. They were supposed to go play tennis. And you have to remember, this is a time when cell phones aren't very popular, so Tara doesn't have a cell phone to tell her the time. She's also only got with her a Walkman and a cassette tape when she leaves that morning. Now, these are the reasons written down on paper, the practical reasons that Tara told Patty to come looking for her if she's not back by noon. But I have to wonder if Tara didn't have a bad feeling that morning, like that feeling of doom that we all experience when we suspect that something bad is about to happen to us. We don't know because... Those are the last words that Tara would say to her mother before heading out again at 9.30 that morning on a bike route that was so familiar to her that I'm sure she had very few concerns. And even if that bad feeling was there, it was easy for her to ignore because she knew what she was doing. She knew where she was going. She did this all the time. It was one of her favorite things to do. So why would she be afraid even if that bad feeling settles in? A lot of times when we feel that bad feeling, we tell ourselves we're being paranoid. And with Patty talking about this van, she could have very well just been overthinking it. And obviously Patty didn't think too much into it either because she let Tara go and she let Tara go by herself with no type of protection. So Tara's bike route was on a dirt path that said along New Mexico Highway 47. She would ride this path 17 miles out and then 17 miles back home, and this usually took her a couple of hours. According to witnesses, somewhere during this bike ride within this time frame from 9.30 to noon, Tara begins getting harassed by a group of boys in a 50s-style Ford pickup truck, described to be light in color. One report says that there was a camper shell in the back of the truck. And my research also suggests that there were four teenage boys, two of them who are considered suspects, while the other two are considered accomplices in this group. I've also heard that there was a second vehicle, but there's not a lot to back that up. So we know this because of the four to five witnesses who talk about it. They say that these boys were grabbing and tugging at Tara and witnesses even say that there was one running beside the truck and grabbing at her. When asked why they didn't help her, they said it looked like they were messing around, just having fun. When I hear this... That age-old excuse of boys will be boys comes to mind. That excuse that we use when we don't want to interfere interfere with with something that doesn't look right. Anyway, none of these witnesses see them actually harm Tara. And we have to remember that Tara doesn't say anything to them either. Like, she's not asking for help. She could have easily spoken up if she felt uncomfortable. And in either of these scenarios where... The witnesses ask her if she's all right or where Tara speaks up. We have a much different ending to this story, but those things didn't happen. In fact, no witness even sees Tara get harmed by this group of boys, and there's no witnesses that see her get abducted either. So we don't know what happened with Tara and these boys. We don't know if she thought it was innocent too, and it could have been innocent, but there is a theory here that what happened to Tara was an accident. Now, there's 
tire tracks that lead off of the trail, and this suggests that Tara was either ambushed or somehow rode off the road, off the trail that she was taking. And in the theory where this is an accident, we hear that Tara is run off this road by these boys or hit by them, and in a panic, they decided to swoop her and her bike into the back of the pickup truck. And if there is a camper shell on it, of course she's not going to be seen. And somewhere in there, Tara ends up dying. So the boys panic and they keep this completely under wraps. And the problem that I have with this theory is that if it did happen this way, these boys managed to cover up Tara's death for three decades without her bike or the body appearing. That really sounds odd to me. If these three boys weren't planning to do this to her, how do they have some type of plan to keep it covered up for over three decades now? Then there's Rain Rivera's theory. He was the sheriff and the lead investigator on this case for 10 years. And in 2008, he comes out and he says he knows the name of the boys who killed Tara, but without a body, he can't make any arrest. And he has no evidence either. The only problem with this is that that of which John Dull speaks of. He says, you could have arrested those boys on circumstantial evidence. Now, let's think about that. A case with no body and build on circumstantial evidence. We already know that cases with no bodies are notoriously hard to prosecute. So... The fact of the matter is that we don't know what happened to Tara with these boys that day. We do know that Tara doesn't make it home by noon, which is her deadline, and Patty ends up out on the trail looking for her daughter, and all she finds is the cassette tape that Tara was listening to in her Walkman. So she gives the police a call, and she feels it's urgent, like they need to find Tara right then. But the police say she probably just ran away, so give it a couple of hours and she'll come home. A phrase that we hate. Because Patty has an amazing bond with Tara. Nobody knows Tara better than her own mother. She knows her daughter wouldn't just run away. And the authorities aren't listening to her. We also know that Tara wouldn't just run away. I mean, she was planning that date with her boyfriend at 12.30 and she seemed really excited about it. So something even more damning happens next. About 16 miles away from where Patty found the cassette tape, they found find pieces of Tara's Walkman. And then the witnesses come forward and investigators learn about the group of boys who were harassing Tara. So now the Valencia County Sheriff's Office goes from this might be a pr- case of a runaway girl to this might be a case of foul play, and they call in the FBI. But this is where details about the investigation get sketchy. We have to talk about Melinda Escabel. She's a former high school classmate of Tara's who was who has drawn a lot of attention to Tara's case through her podcast devoted entirely to Tara's disappearance. She claims that key pieces of evidence from Tara's case have come up missing from the Valencia County Sheriff's Office. Now, when I say key evidence, I mean almost all of the evidence. Apparently, a search on the trail that day, September 20th, 1988, brings up a marijuana pipe 
as well as a cooler, a rag, and ether. The marijuana pipe is found by Tara's boyfriend, a boyfriend whose name never comes up and who has apparently never made any statements that I could find. The story goes that this boyfriend finds the pipe sitting perfectly upright on a rock, almost like it's been placed there to taunt those investigating Tara's disappearance. So boyfriend guy carefully picks up the pipe, hoping not to get any of his own DNA on it and contaminate it, and he hands it over to the sheriff, and he's thinking this can be tested for DNA, and it can lead them to whoever took Tara, and maybe even Tara. Like, he's super excited, but the sheriff does something that shocks the boyfriend and Melinda Escabel, and quite frankly me. He takes the marijuana pipe, puts it in his pocket, and says, thanks, I'll take care of that. And apparently nothing ever comes from this marijuana pipe. It's not tested as far as we can tell. And it disappears along with the cooler, the ether, and the rag that was found out there that day. Melinda says there's more that's missing. There's case files, interviews, and almost everything to do with Tara's case. So this case, which I can tell you was already skin and bones, has lost all of its evidence according to Melinda. And basically there's no trace of any type of evidence within the Valencia County Sheriff's Office, which leads Melinda to think that there's a cover-up that there's a conspiracy within the law enforcement to keep this quiet and maybe they had something to do with Melinda's death or they know who who did it and they're trying to protect them. And if you think about Reen Rivera's statement here, I know the name of the boys, but I have no evidence. You, you really are led to believe that all of the secrets to what happened to Tara are being hidden by her own community. I can tell you that everyone who was close to Tara, including the seamless boyfriend and her family, were cleared as suspects early on in the investigation. So that's something we do know. Everyone close to Tara in her circle was cleared early on. I don't know the names of these boys in the truck, and I really never found them. We don't know what come of the witnesses who saw them. We don't know anything. This case pretty much goes cold after that day until there's a mysterious Polaroid that comes up in Saint Port St. Joe, Florida in a convenience store parking lot. This Polaroid is found by an unknown woman on June 15th, 1989. The image found is found in a space with a white windowless van that is be- being driven by a man with a mustache who appears to be in his 30s. And it shows a young boy and a young woman bound with their hands behind their backs and gagged. They're lying in what appears to be a bed in the back of a van. Remember when I first talked about that van tailing Patty in the beginning of the story and how Tara was taking her bike route across Highway 47, New Mexico Highway 47, a highway that was probably heavily trafficked so anyone could have watched her. This is why that van is so important. Now, Patty and her husband, John Dole, are alerted to this photo by friends who see it on TV, and they're like, that looks just like Tara. And Patty eventually gets her hands on this photo, and she's sure that it's Tara. For one thing, she sees a scar on the young woman's leg that is similar to a scar that Tara got during that car accident that we talked about, the one that she was in in high school. 
Also, there's a book line next to the guys, this young woman in the image, and Patty says that particular book is Tara's favorite. Now, what you need to know is that the author of that book was very popular back then, but a lot of people have the theory that the person who abducted this girl in the photo bought her the book, and that's why it's in the photo. And I do have to point out that while the bounds in this photo don't look very tight, and the two people in the image look kind of relaxed, there is a chance they could be drugged. And that's where we go back to the cooler, the rag, and the ether. We know that this photo was taken in May of 1989. And we know that it had to be taken in May of 1989 or by June 15th because the film that was used to take the photo did not exist until then, according to the company who makes it. That means it was definitely taken while Tara was missing. Another convincing factor at first is that the boy in the photo is believed to be be nine-year-old Michael Henley who was also missing from New Mexico at the time. So you have two people in the photo who were both missing from New Mexico. It's pretty convincing. And they're both being pinpointed by their mothers who say, these are our children. But it's later proven that Michael is not the boy in the photo because they find his remains in the same area that he went missing from. Now, he went missing while he was out on a camping trip with his father, And they were hunting while on this camping trip. And only 20 minutes in, Michael disappears. And then two years later, that's when he's found dead. Two years later, after this Polaroid is found. Um... Anyway, back to the Polaroid. Patty was convinced that Tara is the young woman in this photo. She says if you factor in age progression, growth, and lack of sleep, it's definitely Tara. And the Scotland Yard agreed with her after their examination. But the Los Alamos National Laboratory doesn't agree. They say it's definitely not Tara. And when the FBI examines the photo, their results were inconclusive. So this lead, this first lead in years is taking them nowhere. And even if it had been decided that it was Tara in the photo, that day when the photo was found, authorities set up roadblocks looking for the white van and the driver, but they never found anything. The people who were in this photo, if they weren't Tara and Michael, which we know it's definitely not Michael, are still unidentified to this day. So this is another theory. And this is a theory brought about by this photo. Tara was abducted, abducted and forced into sex slavery or sex trafficking, whatever you want to call it. And it makes sense. I mean, consider the fact that Tara was killed in her hometown for a minute. And the fact that we've never seen any evidence in her hometown in over three decades. Not her bike, not her body, and whatever evidence they did find has seemed to vanish if it was ever there. Now, the only person I've seen mention this evidence is Melinda Escabel, so I'm really not sure if it was there, but I'm hoping that Melinda wouldn't make some information like that up. Like, we really have to hope that she's not trying to gain the wrong attention for her podcast and that she's being honest, but yeah, what I'm saying is if she was killed in her hometown, where are the bodies 
where is the body? Where is the bike? Because if someone came across that 10-speed pink coffee, with all the attention this case got, they had to have known that it was Tara's, right? Furthermore, there's more pictures that come up. And these are pictures that Patty cannot rule out as being Tara, but she never specifically says they are Tara. One of them comes out of Montecito, California. And it's the most convincing because in that photo, there's the same blue striped white fabric that's in the photo found in Port St. Joe. Now, I'm going to have these photos in on the Patreon page for the podcast. So you can go check it out on the Patreon page for the I'm Missing podcast. Now, Patty, Tara's mom, died in 2006. Chris Calico, Tara's older brother, blames the stress of Tara's disappearance for his mother's death. And I couldn't agree more. So Patty had to go through multiple photos while Tara was missing. And a lot of them were gruesome. A lot of them were just disgusting. They showed... Um, dismembered bodies and dead bodies and there's Patty just hoping and praying that none of these people are her daughter and in all that time and in all the hundreds of photos that she looked at she only pointed to these three also we have the fact that other people the family friends were looking at this photo and they said that it was Tara too now that really convinces me that Tara was the girl in the photo. And if her mother says it, then I'm going to believe what her mother says. Because as a mother, I would want to be believed. Now, Patty held out, held out hope that Tara was alive until the day that she died. And I can only hope that she found the answers and death that she longed for in life. Maybe she and Tara were finally reunited. And that would be the only silver lining in this case. Because... There is a young woman who has never been found or received any justice and she was ripped away from her life for seemingly no reason. And her family that remains still has no answers after three decades. Tara's been gone for three decades and there's absolutely no answers. How does a person just disappear without a trace? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Her name was Tara Calico. She was a beautiful, kind college sophomore who went missing while out on her morning bike ride. She may have been harmed by a group of local teen boys who were, who eventually covered up her death with the help of the community of Balin, New Mexico. Or she may have been abducted by a total stranger in a van who took her out of the state and did who knows what with her. The answers of Tara's disappearance are out there somewhere. Somebody knows what happened. Until then, we can take only one truth away from Tara's disappearance. It can always happen to you. You have to be aware that you can always be the one the bad thing happens to. And you have to watch out for yourself. Pay attention to your your surroundings. Pay attention to your loved ones and even distressed strangers on the street. You have to speak up when you are uncomfortable because the people who speak up are the people who stay alive. Now, you've just listened to the I'm Missing podcast, and it's brought to you entirely entirely by your host, Ava McClure. You can join the I'm Missing Patreon community for as little as $5 a month. That gets you access to one bonus episode, plus more extras that will come through the Patreon page and the Facebook group. I'll be back Thursday with my next podcast where we'll discuss the case of another missing person. Until then, I would love to hear your thoughts on this week's episode on the I'm Missing Facebook page. I can't wait to talk to you all again. 
Until then, stay aware, stay safe, and make sure you come home.